oh yeah, we'll be in that van. Yeah, we'll be there, and then we'll come out. We'll, you know, we'll, which oh, is yeah, supposedly we'll, sold out. And, and we'll hey, see. hey, <laughs> play, you know how many folks I heard when that game was ending be like, hey, I got two for the van. Who needs two for the van? I thought you could be at the fifty-five. Who needs two for the? So I'll, yeah, we'll see how sold out that game is. Hello and welcome to At The 55, your home for OUA football. It is Grey Cup Sunday. It is the day after the Mitchell and the UTEC Bulls. We have our Vanier Cup matchup. And for the first time, London will be hosting a Vanier Cup. They will not be playing in it. The Western Mustangs got knocked off yesterday by the Laval Rouge et Or, a game that I was in attendance for that I have just so many thoughts about. I cannot wait to get into that matchup. But uh, to our my, my two lovely co-hosts and Tom and Nate, they both sat at home watching the action from the comforts and the warmths of their couch. Nate, I believe, was still defrosting from the Yates Cup. So we'll start with you, Nate. I feel like I always throw it your way. How did it look watching the games from home coming off of a week where you were live and direct from Western Alumni Stadium in that frigid cold when Western was playing Queens? Yeah, it definitely helps when you're not sitting through a, a snow and a, you know a hostile uh, Western student section and all that. It's a little, it's a little more comfortable, uh, let's say. But I mean, I think just being generally, I think we got treated with some pretty good football in terms of like what you want from like these national semifinals. I think to a certain extent, this was almost like best case scenario. Um, obviously, you know the Western Laval game going wire to wire and flipping, but. Um, you know, a situation we're not used to out east. You know what I mean? I think the score last year in that game was 61 to 6. And there have been a couple 50, 60, 70 pieces in that game over the past few years. So uh, to be honest, I thought like for me, almost the highlight of the day. I mean, obviously, Western Laval was, was fantastic. But uh, seeing seeing St. Effects really come alive there was, uh, was very exciting. And uh, I really enjoyed kind of that experience before things all fell apart. Yeah, and, and I'm going to borrow a line that I think you threw out in our text thread. Um, you mentioning uh, being in a hostile student section in that Yates Cup. All those students must have caught a flu or cold or something from being in that game because they sure as hell weren't at the Mitchell Bowl. And we'll get there. Tom, how are you doing, my friend? <laughs> I'm good. I'm excited to hear Mr. Bader Shamai go off a little bit here, but uh, I really enjoyed uh, both of these games. Um, going into this weekend, I said on the uh, preview pod that I was rolling with the Mustangs. I was whatever. I am such a fan of the Santa Fe X-Men. I was jumping up and down when they were scoring. I was I was all blue all the way. So uh, very exciting games. I'm very happy that both of them were uh, tightly contested at the very least. Um, like Nate said so many times when the AUS has gotten into involved into these games it's just been a blowout of huge proportions so the fact that they were in it and very very possibly could have won the game if not for some key mistakes uh going into the third quarter it's missed opportunities in the first half but um it was a very exciting game now before i throw it back to mr bader shamai i really need to know before we get into the actual game itself and everything what was the atmosphere like in London? I, we talked about there was barely any fans or anything. What was going on there when you were sitting in the stands? Uh, I mean, it was pretty quiet. You know, the I was sitting with my old man, you know, 25 rows up at the 55. 
intentionally done so, of course. <laughs> and the Laval section to our right was any time Laval was prompted to make noise much louder than the London contingency. It was super sparse in my attempts to make noise in support of the Mustangs in this game. Yes, I was cheering for Western. I'm pulling for the OUA team in this matchup. We are your home for OUA football after all. I wanted to see Western host their Vanier Cup, and that's more than just me going to the school. There are many implications, I think, that are that are factored in with that. In my attempt to make noise, I had a full row of seats right in front of me to be banging on those plastic chairs to make noise because it was empty. And in when I look past the beautiful imagery of the Rouge or and the purple on the field, and yes, a tightly contested game, but a game that was very much one-sided, got to see that whole far side of stands empty, not a single soul except for our good friend Deshaun Stevens up in the booth calling that game for the CBC online broadcast only, of course. So, yeah, what was the vibe like? A bit sad. Towards the end, it picked up a little bit, you know, in that, you know, the moments that thinking, okay, maybe we're going to see this massive comeback when those splash plays early on or those mistakes by Laval. Yeah, it picked up a little bit, but overall, thoroughly disappointing. Um, Could a Western have hosted Yates Cup, pardon me, Vanier Cup have been more exciting? We may never know. So let's spare no more time and start getting into these games. And going back to our setup of these games, we talked so much about how all these teams had pretty well established a style and how they had come to be in the position they were in at this point in the year. And it was really going to be a question of who is going to blink first and who can force the other hand to perhaps get out of their game. And I think that is a, a thoroughly... Uh, prevalent message in all these games. So let's start out east where the Saskatchewan Huskies took out Tom Sterling, St. FX Axemen 36 to 19. And as Tom was saying, of course, um, uh, and Nate, I'll, I'll rely on you to remind me of the spread at some point. Um, you know, whenever we get this one was 27 and a half 27 and a half okay well um not a math teacher but my calculations tell me that saint effects covered in that endeavor um you know a game that was 13s uh through three quarters and a game that once again talking about the styles we looked at saskatchewan with mason nius being this massive pass heavy team and his stats bear that out as a very very prominent heck Crichton nominee for this year going up against a St. FX team that has a very good quarterback in their own but has relied on the pound the ground and pound uh stylings of Mr. Malcolm Busey who very much didn't have the effectiveness that perhaps we had come to expect AUS fans had come to expect but we also talked about if you're behind a little bit maybe you have to get out of that passing game or pardon me that run game rely a bit more on the pass tom you having declared yourself as you just you love your you are just a blue you know i'm tom's blue if he was green he would die (laughs) you got your windsor lancers you got your michigan wolverines and now you got your saint fx axemen through three quarters what were you thinking like did you just think that like Midnight's gonna strike, and this 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 Cinderella team's gonna turn back into a pumpkin. Or did it feel real? 
No, it genuinely felt real, at least to me. Um, we talked about the idea of sticking to what you know and being that team and everything. Well, St. FX came out and from the little, you know, the few games that I had a chance to see did not go with the regularly scheduled programming. Silas came out and was just slinging the ball. You know, his final stats, 17 for 36, 258 yards and a touchdown. Like he was commander of that team. Malcolm Busey really, he did a few things, but like finished 11 attempts for 58 yards had a long of 19, so like busted one maybe, but that Saskatchewan defense really held him in check. But it wasn't like St. FX tried to go with the run and then it was stopped, so they had to go with Silas. They they started with the pass and really they were in this game all the way up until roughly like the end of the third quarter kind of thing. Like I genuinely thought, hey, if they can get a couple of bounces here, like they could upset Saskatchewan. Um, there was a couple of times in the first quarter where uh, they're driving down the field and Silas Fadnian throws a beautiful ball. And I believe it was Ben Harrington gets underneath it, makes an outstanding catch, but holding call against the offense, get pushed back, go into another pass play. And I believe it was a sack. And so that first and goal from the 10 yard line turns into second and like 30. And instead of trying to kick a field goal, they're almost having to punt. So that in itself just kind of set up for the day. Like St. FX was right there, but they just didn't take over the game when they could have. Yeah, I just want to, you, know, you read out Silas's numbers there, 17 for 36, 258, a touchdown, two interceptions. Arguably, one could say a better passing line than that could be 17 for 31, 189, one touchdown and no interceptions. I won't say whose stat line that is, but I haven't so far heard people calling for Silas's job or saying that St. FX would be in a Vanier if they had a competent quarterback. Nate, um, you know, like the, uh, me and Tom, obviously we're OUA junkies. We don't get as many opportunities to check out these other teams. Um, Mason, obviously this, uh, you know, the heck Crichton nominee for Can West, uh, having a hell of a year out for the Huskies, uh, getting to watch a full game start to finish of him. And from what you saw, I saw Alice, what did you think of this passing game from these two teams? And just generally, you know, the, the vibe of this matchup out east. I think it's funny because, to a large extent, I think you know when the game really turned a bit for me was when Saskatchewan realized that they should be running the football. Because I mean, when you watch this game, and you know, there is a bit of a size difference between these two conferences, and I think that was abundantly clear. Um, after, you know, finally, after a few quarters, and I think it was midway through the second quarter, they really started running with Kabongo and, you know, they had that long drive that ended up with a fumble through the end zone. Um, yeah, to me, it was like the passing game was great and everything like that. But, you know, I think the Saskatchewan running game really broke the game open. As far as saying effects, I absolutely love when a team is, is brutally honest with itself. And it would have been so easy for them to say, running the balls are bread and butter. You know what I mean? Our running back is our best player on the team, and that's who we're going to stick with. But let's be honest. I don't think anyone would think they this game would be as close if they went with that strategy. And, you know, the reality of the situation is, yeah, a kid back there who's a bit of a gunslinger, you know what I mean? He's fun to watch. You know, he could take off a few times. He ran over a guy uh, at one point. So uh, really entertaining to watch from him as far as, you know, quarterbacks on the day obviously not as an impressive stat line as nice of course but in terms of pure entertainment uh I definitely enjoyed Fanyan's style of play and you know I just love that 
from a strategic standpoint, they knew, hey, you know, we're not going to go run these guys over. That's that that's not going to win us the game. So we got to do something different. And, you know, it all it almost ended up paying off for them. Yeah. And Tom, you know, uh, Nate was bringing up just how, you know, Sask's running game and you were really looking to see if they could get Riker Frank going in this game. And he most certainly did 20 attempts, 134 carries and a touchdown. And obviously we'll get to the Mitchell Bowl in a little bit. Very much reflected how when we get into looking at Laval and to Nate's point as well, and it blows my mind. And if you weren't paying attention to this game closely, you know, hold on to your butts. But much like in that Mitchell Bowl, as Nate was saying in the UTEC, a, a bit of a size difference, to say the least, between these two teams. Um, well, you know, I'll let you figure out which side was the larger of the Laval Western um, um, conversation. But then, in, you know, Laval, a, another team that we talked about being so pass heavy in their pass attack. I'll be very interested to break that down when we get to that game. But the way they were able to run the ball against Western, similarly, looking at Saskatchewan, you were looking for them to get Frank going, and clearly they were able to do so. What did you make of that running attack? Once again, we'll compare it to Laval when we maybe get to the Mitchell Bowl of a team being able to say, I know maybe they're listening to bums like us talk about how like, you know, oh, they don't know how we play football here in the, in the OUA. They don't know nothing about running the ball. And these teams are like, actually, <laughs> don't believe me. Just watch. Yeah, it was uh, it was really interesting because like Nate said, they it almost seemed like Saskatchewan kind of like fell into the run where they were so focused on the pass. I think they went two and out on their first series and they you know, obviously have a Heckright nominee in Mason Nias, and he is phenomenal. He played really well, but then like just did like a random like off tackle and Riker Frank just took off for like 15 yard gain or something. And then they go back to the pass a little bit and then they, okay, maybe we'll get into the run a little bit more. And then as the game went on, Saskatchewan leaned on Riker Frank and um, sorry, Ted Kabungo and, uh, it was just a fantastic thing to kind of see. What I was really surprised at was the turnovers from Saskatchewan. We mentioned it before. Ted Kamungo fumbled the ball in the end zone that um, Santa Fax kind of took over. But in total, there was five fumbles. Now, they only lost two of the five, but the ball was on the turf so often from Saskatchewan that stopped them multiple times on that drive. And that's what I'm really talking about when I say St. FX had so many opportunities to really take over the game. And, uh, you know, they've leaned on those running backs for sure. Riker Frank, Ted Gabungo, they, uh, they took over the game. They were running over guys. And like you said, the difference for the offensive and defensive lines, it was really what this boiled down to, in my opinion, like, for the most part, honestly, St. FX was holding their own. They were doing some really good things, getting some pressures occasionally, sacked Nias a couple of times, but um, that O-line for Saskatchewan, especially when it come, came to the run game, was just dominant. Yeah, and, and you know, once again, you mentioning or you mentioned the fumbles. Once again, we can draw a parallel um, that we'll get into with the Mitchell, where the team that at the end of the day, when it was all said and done, we could say was the better team. Um, and in both cases, the better team won these games. It was often them shooting themselves in the foot that was allowing their opponent to stay in the game. Um, and then looking at, of course, as you were mentioning, sort of the turnover game and the the sack game, because we did talk about that a bit, Nate, with how, you know, when we look at the stats sort of cross conference in the a sort of cross conference perspective, you kind of have to couch a little bit of those numbers when you think, Okay, St. Effects, 
one of the most dominant defenses across the country how much of that is a product of the competition they're playing and and you brought up a great point that to really think they're going to have a shot in a, a national semifinal an AUS team has to really be dominating the conference which they may not have done to the extent that would give folks like us the confidence to say you know what maybe they won't win but it'll be a close fight when you look at sort of how that defense played in the season, the stats they put up, really limiting teams in their yardage, getting after the quarterback with sacks and turning teams over with interceptions as well. And then kind of looking at what they were able to do to Saskatchewan, save for, as Tom was highlighting, the number of times the Huskies were kind of hurting their own efforts. Where where do you sort of fall with ultimately, say, you know, looking at that defense a little bit, how they performed in this matchup? Is it closer to... I guess I'll frame it like this. Is it closer to the numbers they were putting up this season, which I don't have right in front of me, but leading the nation type numbers or closer to this giving up 506 total offense to Sask? I'm guessing like many things, it's probably somewhere in the middle. But what were your impressions from kind of seeing their end of year stats over the season in the AUS and then seeing how they were able to hold up against this Huskies team? I mean, you know, this Huskies offense is one that'll, that'll put up 500 against teams in the Can West too. You know what I mean? So it's, you, you have to mention that, but um, you know, it, it, it's a lot of just kind of the size disparity and that kind of thing. Um, but I've, you know, give them credit that we highlighted those turnover numbers and that's what really kept them in the game is they had that magic riding with them. They caught a few breaks um, they're able to turn them over a few different times. And, you know, really that's when, when things kind of turned and, and the breaks didn't really come anymore. Uh, you know, that's when kind of things fell apart. But, I mean, give them a lot of credit. I mean, what was it, 13-13, you know, late, late in the third quarter going into this game. I mean, like, again, you go and tell someone this before the game, you can't really ask for much better. You know what I mean? A, a 23-point fourth quarter, obviously, uh, will break your back no matter who you're playing. Um, but I think, you know, you look at this in more of a big picture standpoint, um, I think this this is a signal of, of progress and hopefully something that, you know, you can look to recruits and things like that. You know, St. FX has a lot of guys from out west, funny enough, Banyan from Alberta. You know, I'm hearing those those uh, prairie provinces a few times uh, for St. FX during the game, which is interesting. So, you know, something for them to build on it and the AUS in general. I think this is a, a really important result for them. Yeah, and Tom, last thing I'll throw your way, because I'm just, I can't wait to talk about the Mitchell, if I'm being completely honest. Just uh, carrying off of Nate's point there, you know, on the one hand, I, like I do think Nate, uh, and I think you kind of echoed this, bring up a good point coming into this game where just given the recent history of AUS football compared with the other conferences, because we don't get cross conference games, I mean, the occasional exhibition game preseason where we might get to see some of these top tier teams play one another, just given recent history, you'd really have to see an AUS team dominate their conference to come into a semifinal matchup and think they can give one of these other conference champs a run for their money. But kind of to reflect on something that Nate kind of, Nate said there, that wasn't really the case, but given that they were pretty competitive in this game and then thinking that, well, you know, in some they were in some pretty competitive games this season, does that give you some hope that the AUS is moving in a positive direction? And, you know, this is obviously a discussion that could encompass a whole podcast's worth of of of, of time. But do, do you feel like we're starting to see some of those, whatever those indicators would be to think that AUS football is moving in a right direction or at least just sticking with this one club and saying effects at least? 
I'm hoping that some things can be translated from what the AUS, I believe, does already to this national stage. And what I mean by that is in the AUS, because there's only four teams there, you are guaranteed to play everybody at least twice. And if you get into the playoffs three, sometimes four times, if you were playing a team three times, you are trying to save at least a few plays here and there to try to break out at the right moments so that when you're playing this team for the second time or the third time in the Loney Bowl championship, you're not going in there being like, okay, well, they know our entire playbook. There's not a whole lot that we can do here other than try and use some uh, some plays in some different scenarios and try to take them off balance. So I think sometimes certain certain coaching staffs will hold on to a few plays here and there to break them out into key situations. And I think that's what uh, St. Effects did here. You know, in the last three games that I had the chance to kind of just watch briefly, they were a run-heavy team. Malcolm Busey was the center point of the offense. Silas did a few good things in the passing game, but it wasn't enough to really take over a game. And then they come out and they're throwing the ball. And the pass game is what they're really leaning on here. And it takes Saskatchewan by surprise for sure. Now, they have athletes, and it's not like they didn't know what to do. They played against teams that are throwing really heavily in the Canada West, but it was not something that they were prepared for for St. FX. And St. FX had some ballers in that offensive secondary. Ben Harrington was doing a lot of really great things. Um, I think that, you know, we've kind of alluded to it a, a few times just to break it down here for you. Uh, it's 6-6 going into halftime. And he, even before we get to halftime, Ted Kabungo fumbles in the end zone with like 45 to, seconds to a minute left remaining. St. FX takes over. They run. They get a first down. It's like 30 seconds left. Great. They're on their own 30-yard line. Instead of continuing to run the ball, they for some reason decide to pass twice, incomplete both times, kick it back to Saskatchewan, who then drives the field and kicks a field goal to tie it up 6-6. If you are a seasoned, not a, I don't even want to say seasoned coach because I, I don't want to disrespect the St. FX coaching staff here, but if you're in this national semifinal game consistently, you know that, you know what, 6-3 is a great score to go into halftime with, especially when everybody thought that you, you were going to be down by like four scores at this point. Run out the clock, keep the time, and get, go with momentum into the second half because you deferred and you have the chance to receive the ball. They then allow Saskatchewan to tie it up 6-6, go into the second half and then kick off to Saskatchewan in for in favor for a, a half. But to my knowledge and well, everything that I heard from the broadcasters, there wasn't a crazy wind that would justify doing something like that. So I just didn't understand it from that standpoint. When the third quarter happens, Saskatchewan goes down and they score a touchdown and they do it pretty easily. So you kick it back to St. FX and they put together a drive. And then Silas Fenyon, takes off and runs for over 20 yards for a touchdown. You go, oh, my God, it's 13-13. This is really close. Later on in the third quarter, St. FX is pinned in their own end. They take a team safety, so they kick it off to Saskatchewan. Saskatchewan then goes on that ensuing drive, scores a touchdown, so they're up by nine points. And then directly after that, Silas throws a pick six. And so in the span of like a minute and a half, they are now down by over two scores. Now they come back and they get another touchdown from Ben Harrington and there there's some signs of life there, but ultimately it was just too much. Saskatchewan starts rolling and they get, they force St. FX into taking more risks than what they're ready for. And that's what ultimately costs them the game. But like 
right until the end of the third quarter, they are in this game. It is very conceivable that St. FX might be able to win here, but a few key mistakes there, some questionable decisions in the coaching side of things, I think ultimately led to this, um, this loss, unfortunately. Yeah. And sometimes when it rains, it pours and just like that, the game can change so rapidly. And as you highlighted, when you're a team that perhaps isn't in these high stakes games as frequently when you get late in the game and that's when the tides start to turn, you know, and once again, this is a bit of a theme that's going to carry us into the Mitchell Bowl, how you as a team can respond to those situations when all of a sudden everything just gets a little more tense and, and you, you know your, your deep breaths just don't seem to go as deep into your chest and you can't quite keep your cool all the time it can be difficult to manage um Nate any last thoughts on this matchup um take it anywhere you want to or, or are you ready for a little Mitchell talk uh just quick shout out to Antigonish you know it looked like a fun atmosphere up there in the stands you know I've driven through there on my way to Newfoundland before and uh, it's a nice little town you know so great job putting on the show Shout out to Antigonish. Shout out to the AUS, Tom. Yeah, uh, just final thoughts. I don't know the maximum capacity for that that stadium, but they sold it out, and there were people on the other side of the stadium, and it looks like they have like a railing to go into in some other buildings. People were lined up at the railings, sitting on the hill that was there. I don't even know if they're allowed to sit on that hill, but they were doing it anyway. So it looked like an incredible atmosphere in Antigonish. And it wasn't because Saskatchewan Husky fans were traveling out there. That was a sea of blue. So thank you for reminding me of that, Nate. That was uh, that was really great to see at least in at least one game. Well, what a segue that is to take us to a more than somewhat lackluster Mitchell Bowl from the environment of the stands, to say the least. From the action on the field... It was a pretty frisky ball game. Final score in this game. The Laval Rouge Or 27. I think that's how you say 27. The Western Mustangs 20. Ooh wee. Um let me start hey. with a little story time. No, Tom, you have a point, please. Yes. Yeah, okay. At some point, finish your story time, whatever, but I wanted to ask you a question. Oh, yeah, let's start in, this. In your opinion. Do you think that the University of Western Ontario did enough to hype this game up amongst the campus itself to let the students know, hey, there's a Mitchell Bowl national semifinal happening at this field here, and the students just did nothing? Or do you think that the university itself could have done more in order to get more people, more butts in seats? Um, well, first of all, it's it's Western University now, not the University of Western Ontario so just wow you know, get spoken it right. like a true western student <laughs> um a bit difficult for me to say the faculty I attend the faculty of education isn't on the main campus so I'm not always abreast to all the advertising they're putting out to their to the sort of the, the majority student body um what I will say um because I actually bumped into a western Mustang uh today and I got to talk to him a little bit um about the game is that because one of the disappointing things is I kind of highlighted from the jump was that there was no student presence there at all. And I wasn't aware of them doing a student, like like to me it's like if you come with a Western one card, you're in. No questions asked. From talking with this Mustang, they'd indicated to me that if you were a Western student, you get a code that the first 500 can get your ticket. Garbage, absolute garbage. Show up with your purple one card that has your name on it, doesn't even necessarily verify what year you're student and go on in. Go on and fill the freaking stands because you know what? 
So many of the problems that we can talk about when it comes to broadcasting, sponsorship, and anything in between and beyond, ultimately, like many things comes down to money. But when you have that many empty seats to begin with, who gives a darn if you're letting in students just for free? And maybe they still won't show up. And frankly, maybe the university and and I think this comment is going to come up at some point in our conversation because it did in our sort of um, pre-recording conversation about this, that maybe a lot of folks we're resting on the laurels of Western just being like, oh, yeah, we'll be in that van. Yet. We'll be there. And then we'll come out. We'll, you know, we'll, Which oh, is yeah, supposedly we'll, sold out. Hey, we'll hey, hey <laughs> play, you know how many folks I heard when that game was ending be like, hey, I got two for the van. Who needs two for the van? You, have to, you could be at the 55. Who needs two for the? So, I, yeah, we'll see how sold out that game is. But let me start with a brief story and then I'll just pass it off to you guys. Um, Because first and foremost. Because the the conversation and this extends into a larger conversation, but I've been that's really grinded my gears is the Evan Hillock hate, and I'll start a conversation off by saying that Evan didn't have a very strong game, absolutely not. But here's here's what I want to say: in 2013, I was a scout team offensive lineman for the uh, for the Guelph Griffins, um, in which we lost to Queens in the semis or the quarterfinals. Ultimately, we didn't have a great playoff year. Queens goes on to play Western in the Yates Cup. They get run over. Western then goes out to Calgary for whichever bowl game semifinal that was. They get beat pretty bad. Then Calgary goes into the Vanier Cup where I believe they got their lunch handed to them by Laval. And in the, uh, I forget what the arena is called where the hockey rink is at Guelph. Me and a couple of our, my scout team friends are sitting watching that Vanier Cup, and we're sitting there reflecting on the fact that we're the scout team for the team that got beat by the team. They got beat by the team. They got beat by the team. They got beat by the Vanier Cup champs. So why do I say all that? I say all that to because to anyone currently playing for an OUA team, formerly associated with an OUA team, or perhaps associated with a, a broadcast team partnered with OUA football that wants to levy insults towards whether it's the Western Mustangs as a whole or specifically towards Evan Hillock. Just remember, Western kicked your butts this year. Every single game. Arguably, Tom Sterling's Windsor Lancers might have something to say about that. But I haven't heard Windsor Lancers online in this garbage Twitter, just, you know, whatever you want to call it, rigmarole, trying to tarnish what the Western Mustangs have built up. Let's not forget, they're the Vanier Cup champs from last year as well. Now, let me stop right there, because there was a game to talk about, and I have many more things sort of narratively speaking on all these pieces that I'm sure I'll get into, but I don't want to hog our airspace. And I also need to take a few deep breaths. Nate, you look ripe and ready to jump in on this conversation. What are you, what are you feeling? Yeah, I mean, you know, it's, 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 it's a product of a lot of things, I think. I think for one, the, the point you mentioned about, you know, Wesser beating everyone's butts. Yeah, that's the whole reason why they, they'll take whatever chance they can get to shit on Weston. You know what I mean? Like, that's, you know, such a huge part of it. And, you know, you this is the, the classic, you know, Spider-Man one, Green Goblin. He's talking to Peter. He says, what do they love more than the hero? To see a hero fail. And what do we hear all goddamn week? Look at Evan Hillock. He hasn't lost. He's won 18 in a row. He's going to go 20-0 and win the Vanier. 
And what do we do the second, literally the second the game's over? And he had a rough go of it. He absolutely did. But it's a hell of a lot of fun for some people to dance on the grave of the Western Mustangs because they do not get the opportunity very often. So, you know, from that, I'm not saying it's right or wrong, but I'm just saying in the world we live in today, it's par for the course, baby, unfortunately. And I I totally get where you're coming from on that. And I'm sure when I was at Guelph, anytime on, as you kind of mentioned, on the rare occasions that it happened where Western lost. And I was joking with my dad as we were leaving that building or that arena or that field. I'm still defrosting um, myself. Is that, hey, you know what? Last time we actually were in person for Western losing a game was when Guelph won the Eights Cup in 2015. Of course, not the last time Western lost a game, but the last time we were in person to see it happen. AK, it don't happen a lot because not many more people in that time span have probably gone to OUA football games than myself. I, I have a, a a, a further comment on the the Western hate pertaining to this specific loss that I'll be happy to go into a little bit more. But Tom, I want to get your opening thoughts or whatever thoughts you have about this game. Yeah, I think we talked about it a little bit. I think Evan would be the first person to tell you that he did not have a good game. Um, he missed a lot of his receivers. Uh, Savon Magny Jones, I don't have the numbers out in front of me, but he has that one beautiful pass to him to start off the game with the touchdown. And then specifically to Magny Jones, I, I don't know that he completed another pass to him, even though Savon was open on, on, on numerous occasions here. So <clears throat> obviously there was a lot of frustrations there. And if you know the nature of you uh, sports as it stands right now and the lack of coverage that we get, if this is your first time tuning into a Western football game and this is the performance you, you see from Evan, you might say, hey, what's going on here? I don't understand this. The issue comes into play with the people that I've seen have been watching Western football and know the OUA. Like, I know it. there's a lot of it that comes back to what Nate was saying. People love to see somebody crash and fall, especially when they're wearing that Western purple because it just doesn't happen very often. But don't give me this crap that Western doesn't have a passing game just because they don't have to throw the ball 50 times a game because they have an outstanding running attack does not mean that Evan Hillock is not a good quarterback. Like there needs to be a certain level here of, yes, Evan didn't play well in the uh, Mitchell Bowl here. Granted, for sure. Is he still a great quarterback? Is this the same quarterback that's through 212 yards per game, led the OUA in 16 touchdown passes, and had a fat goose egg under that interception column in the regular season? Yeah, it is. So, Evan Hillock, I know that this kind of thing doesn't bother him, and I know that he's going to come back stronger for next year. I want you to save every single receipt, every single tweet that you see. Save it and come back next year with a vengeance. And and Evan, if you don't, don't worry. We've already saved them for you. Um, <laughs> you, you know, and, and we should start talking about Laval because holy cow. Is that a good-looking football team? Oh, my goodness. Is that a good-looking football team? Um, and I'll use this last point sort of about Western, at least this last point about Western for now, to transition into a conversation about how Laval was moving the ball offensively. Um, obviously, we, we talked about Edward Winati being out and, and having uh, some personal issues back home he was attending to, and, and once again, just hoping the best for him and whoever in his life is affected by that. Um, but I brought this up in our preview pod of these two bowls, which is that 
Western hasn't had to feel the repercussions of this individual's absence all year long. But you know who I kept elbowing my dad saying, you know, who'd be helpful in this game right now is Kojo Odoom. Because all game long, what was killing me, and I think this is where, you know, with Western, they were missing, you know, Evan's missing on a few balls deep. His receivers, a couple of them just, just right like an inch or two long. They didn't really have that intermediate game. He did hit Savon on a few more short screen passes, but they really didn't have that intermediate game. They were either going to look for something down the field or just a quick hitch screen with some of their linemen getting out into space. And on the flip side, Arnaud Desjardins was just, you know, he goes 18 for 28, 265 yards, amazingly no touchdowns, the one interception. But just dicing up Western's defense with all these sort of intermediate routes, receivers coming over the middle. And I kept saying, like, it just felt like Western was giving these receivers far too much of a cushion. But when you don't have your best man-to-man corner, one of the best corners in the nation, yeah, you're going to have to resort to a little more zone coverage and concepts, at least coming from the perspective of a guy who knows nothing about passing game and pass schemes in particular. But thankfully, we have at least one person I know who knows passing schemes very well in you, Nate Hobbs. What did you make of the way Laval was tacking Western and the way that Western at least coming from my perspective, looked like they were giving them just way too much cushion, just settling, allowing those receivers to find those nice little, uh, you know, spaces in their defense. Yeah, I don't want to say give myself too much credit, but it really it was uh, more more of a classic performance from Weston. Um, and I remember us having this conversation in the preview pod in that, you know, they're going to look to go back to their classic cover three look and essentially say to you, like they say to many teams, you know what? Just keep just beat us over and over and over and over and over and make the right play over and over and over and over and over and over again. And guess what? No one in the OUA could do it. You know, no one has that kind of passing game in the OUA. But Laval, I don't want to say they made it look terribly easy, but I mean they look pretty comfortable. You know what I mean? And I think to a large extent, that is probably where a lot of this, you know, quarterback hate comes from as well, because you know, you see Western and, and balls are kind of fluttering around and dying and things like that. And you watch this Laval passing game. They didn't miss a beat whatsoever. You know what I mean? It almost like the elements had no effect on them and how they produced. Um, and I think like the biggest indictment for me is is watching the game. And obviously I had picked Laval and, you know, maybe maybe I was rooting for them just a little bit. You know what I mean? But um it's like even when they got in, you know, the, the running game and everything's fantastic. But even when it came down to second and 10 situations, you didn't really flinch because you knew they had it in them to run that comeback, run that core route, you know, and it was just, it was very comfortable for them uh, moving the ball through the air. And, you know, you look at the opposite for Western and when they got in those situations, didn't feel a ton of confidence, you know, in my gut telling me that, you know, they're going to make it past this one. Whereas Laval, I mean, just so consistent throughout the game, whether it was, you know, Mittal or otherwise. And in fact, most of the time it was otherwise. So um really impressed overall with what they were able to do um in the passing game. And obviously something maybe we didn't expect as well as being so dominant in the run game, which maybe you guys could talk about a bit more. 
Well, 100%. And, you know, once again, going back to breaking down the UTEC and talking about just the styles that we'd seen these teams co- sort of develop. Um, and, and Tom, I mean, I know we were already just like giddy with excitement just talking about these two monsters of offensive linemen at tackle for the Valrugier. I don't have their names in front of me, but 61 and 72. Holy smokes. Those guys are big. And they were giving Kalenga Muganda so much room to operate with. And he's a fun runner to watch because he can just put his foot in the ground and just slice into whatever gap he has. And he, I mean, we talk so much about Keon Edwards all year long, not really ever getting hit backwards. He was getting hit backwards on a few occasions. Kalenga, we're not really seeing that with him. He's coming downhill and coming downhill hard. And once again, we already sort of drew this parallel in the other game, but now being into this matchup, talking about at least from the Laval offensive standpoint in comparison to the Western defense, oh boy, did it look like, you know, like these, you know, I know Nate kind of made that joke of like these guys literally are playing in different leagues, but sort of in the metaphorical sense of they're not in the same league, kind of felt that way watching the box play when Laval was on offense. Yeah, absolutely. I think if you are a fan of great offensive line play, like <laughs> Mr. Beta Shammai and I are, you would have loved to have seen what the Laval Rougeor did to that Western defense. Uh, a lot of the time, just for the folks who don't know, the defensive tackles on defense, for the most part, their responsibility is to try to take up as many bodies as they can in the offensive line so that in the running attack, those linebackers are free and they're able to make tackles. More often than not, each Rouge or offensive lineman was able to single-handedly take out a Western defensive lineman. And then suddenly you have a player in Riley McLeod who is maybe 200 pounds having to consistently deal with 300 pound plus monsters running at him and not even necessarily having to worry about blocking him all the way down the field, but just getting in his way so that Muganda could go off and break a couple tackles. And consistently he averaged seven yards per carry. There was more than those that he was going for 10 to 15 plus yard plays pretty consistently here. So they were doing everything right on the Laval offensive side of things. Now I will say the Western offensive line, did still do pretty well in that run game. Keanu Edwards certainly had to do deal with a whole lot more uh, penetration than he's normally used to in terms of guys getting into the backfield before he was able to really get going here. But Keon being Keon finishes with 127 yards. I think the stat that I saw online is that every single game this year uh, from the regular season till now, he has finished with over 100 yards rushing. That is an, a hell of an accomplishment absolutely deserves the OUA MVP Keon Edwards. And quite honestly, I think obviously the, the numbers are off and Kalen Muganda had a hell of a game, whatever Keon Edwards dealt with a whole lot more and was still grinding out yards was battling with a few injuries, took a, a few nasty hits was not hesitating whatsoever to take the ball, see a crowd of red and gold in front of him, and just lower his head and try to get first downs. Like it was really, really impressive to see that from Keon Edwards side of things, but my goodness, the Laval Rouge or that big red machine from Quebec city was just rolling 
And it gave me flashbacks for the two times that I had to play those bastards in 2011 and 2012. They were looking pretty damn good. Yeah, I mean, Keon on the day, just definition of like when you say like a gutty performance, because it absolutely was. Um, and so, it, you know, we've we've gotten probably too long in this conversation without really talking about, you know, like Laval was dominant on all facets of the game. We, you know, we looked at, you know, Tom and, and Nate both sort of in the, looking at the passing game and, and running game, highlighting just exactly what they were doing um, so effectively, defensively as well just being able to you know evan having a rough day and not dealing with the wind well which, but let's not yeah which in general is surprising too because like you know first if someone hadn't really watched the game too closely you think you know scores pretty close the whole time and western was up and you know but i mean if you just watch this game um and there's no scoreboard or anything like that and you know you just put on the tape it's pretty it's pretty clear uh who is the better team on the day most definitely but and and the reason that it was close, obviously, is the mistakes Laval was making early on, and, and we should get to that. But so we covered offense, we've covered defense. Western on specials was not very special. Two blocked field goals in a game with a seven point difference in this ball game, and albeit Laval had a missed field goal with the wind at their back as well, that they had to settle for a rouge um, early on. Um, and I was trying to remember. I was trying to remember. There was another play on specials where uh, where uh, Western really shot themselves in the foot. That you know, and kind of connecting that now with those mistakes Laval was doing early, where the only thing keeping Western in the game, they could you know, offense, specials, defense, check marks for Laval. It was Laval's own detriment that kept Western in this game. And my goodness, as a former offensive lineman, a guy who was a center for many games, having the strongest of sympathy pains for that young man at center when he couldn't keep that ball down. But, oh my goodness, I'm trying to think of, I guess, what I'm trying to articulate all in in this point of the conversation. Um, I mean, Nate, you know, looking at this game, I mean, Kind of similarly in getting to see a full game of Sask, a full game of Saint Effects, and now a full game of Val, where you're tuned in and nothing distracting you. On the whole, what was most impressive for you watching this game? Because as you just said, there, yeah, you, if you're just sort of keeping up with box scores or you know not really paying much attention, you think that oh, this makes sense. It's it's a, it's a tight ball game. It's a you know it's it's a competitive game, but. Western was shut out and for th- almost three full quarters, 17 points in the first quarter, most of which were thanks to Laval, and then 0-0 and then a three. What what was the most impressive thing for you watching Laval? I mean, it didn't flinch, right? I mean, how easy would it have been to go into that situation and, you know, you lose three snaps in a row, and it's like, Jesus Christ, are we going to be dealing with this all game? Are we going to be able to get what? Like, it was at the point where – you know, we, we're going to have to get a backup center in the game or something like, cause it was, it was ridiculous um, watching the game, but obviously they figured it out. And I think, you know, again, going to big plays and big moments. I mean, those Western field goals that they were held to were pretty darn close. And the one in particular um, was it, it was right before halftime, I believe when Western was down like inside the five yard line, you know, it was in, in kind of a third and three situation. We're forced to settle for that field goal. Um, but that's a situation where if you get a touchdown, it makes such a world of difference. And like what Laval kind of standing tall in moments like that, it just seemed to happen over and over again. And and any kind of big play or, or jump ball plays, 
you know, harking back to what Tom's been talking about for the past few weeks. I mean, Laval was just winning seemingly every single one of those battles. Um, and, you know, just in totality, it's, everything looked pretty easy for Laval. And everything looked very, very difficult for the Western Mustangs. And I think going into the next week, I think it's a much different matchup for Laval because you're in a situation where, you know, Western was such a dominant run team and you knew they weren't going to throw the ball up and down the field on you. Um, where they go into somewhere like a different situation, right? Where, you know, Saskatchewan is much more comfortable throwing the ball and, you know, maybe that's going to give them a better chance against Laval. Um, and it's going to be kind of, for me, maybe maybe a bit more of a enticing matchup with, with these two quarterbacks and their ability to to throw the ball consistently as opposed to, you know, just some big plays and, and some off-script stuff. So, um, and obviously Saskatchewan being good enough to knock off Montreal last year, you know, as much as we have our doubts after this performance against St. Effects, I, I find it hard to count them out at this point. And going back to that field goal you were talking about towards the end of the half, if I'm remembering correctly as well, if that's the 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 one where Western took the um the time count violation, pushing it back a little bit, and going back to how significant that would have been to score, I was thoroughly surprised that if if that's your plan to begin with, throw a hard count at them or something like that just blew my mind. I like I thought that was their plan all along was they were going to try and do a hard count, call a timeout, and then kick the field goal, see them take the 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 time count violation it's like well then why you have nothing to lose then if your plans to give up a penalty anyways and probably sets you up for a better kicking position to begin with um as is um tom i guess just last thoughts in general from you i mean on this game i mean as much as we are saying it was one-sided like where do you think you know, when we look at, once again, there's a bit of a an age discrepancy with these two ball clubs. Maybe not literally age, because you always got to be curious looking through the program when you're seeing eligibility ages of these guys and how old they might really be. But, you know, we were kind of looking. I mean, this passing attack of Desjardins and Mattal, both listed in that program as second years. I believe that running back that we've been talking about who had a heck of a game for them in Muganda, also a seconder in his first year. Some of these offensive linemen for them, second years, very young Laval team, very scary thinking about the dominance that they can have. All the while, still one point victory uh, to get themselves out of Quebec against Montreal. I mean, you know, w- whether it's just a last point on this game or, you know, not, not to cut this conversation brief, if, if there's more to be said or just sort of big picture thinking about our our, our little OUA going up against the big bad RSEQ, um, what are you thinking? So... Everybody that I know who follows OUA football, follows U Sports football in general, you're looking at 17 to 3, 17 to 4, and no one thinks that Laval is out of this. Just for everybody's reminder, in the 2011 Vanier Cup that I was very privileged to be a part of, at halftime, it was 23 nothing for McMaster. And eventually we we won that game, sure, after two overtimes because Laval Rouge Or roared back and not once did they give up, say, oh, this is too big of a comeback to do. We can't do this whatsoever. They are one of the best programs in U Sports consistently since Glenn Constantine came to that program. 
and being down by two scores is not going to scare them. Being down by more than three scores did not scare them. And there was so many times, obviously, if you're in range for field goals for the most part, like you could have scored you, whatever. I think three out of the four field goal attempts, they had just missed a, either a passing play receiver dropped into the end zone. It wasn't a good throw, whatever. They were so close. Three out of those four field goals could have been touchdowns and should have been touchdowns. And that is the difference when you play against these upper ranked teams. So many times we have been having that same conversation about other OUA teams going up against Western. When you have those jump ball moments, you have to take advantage of them. Western has never had to be in that situation because they've just been Western and they're rolling. This was those moments. And you had so many of them. I have to tell you, I was so frustrated because I really, I told you guys, I had no idea how hard I was pulling for the Western Mustangs until I saw the missed opportunities from them time and time again. I just wanted them to convert. You know, it seemed like there was going to be a point where Western couldn't score unless something was given to them by Laval. You know, in the first quarter, they were reeling. They scored 17 points in the first quarter and then three the rest of the game. The score finishes 27 to 20. You obviously highlighted it. Two blocked field goals. It's a tie game. And at the very least, we're going into overtime. Now, I don't think that that's enough to change the atmosphere because, like we said, Laval was really rolling and they were doing a lot of really great things here. But, man. You had so many opportunities to win this game. And quite honestly, a very shocking uh, result from the Western coaching staff, who quite honestly and normally have no problem being aggressive with their play calling, certainly were much more reserved in a lot of cases here. They went for it a few times on third down and things. But like you said, why not go for a hard count? You're on at that time. Before they took the penalty, it was third down. You're on like the five-yard line. Go for it. Put some faith in your defense. At the very least, Laval has to start on their own five and drive almost the entire field. And if they want to score again, go for it. You know, it just didn't, it didn't compute to me that this was a Western Mustang team in a national semifinal game to go to the Vanier Cup. You know, maybe it was that mentality of, okay, we'll just make the next play because we've always done that. But it was just, it was frustrating because even though Laval was the better team here, Western was so close to winning this game. And also, of course, a Western team, all that that you just said, but at home as well. Um, yeah, I, the, I guess one last thing I guess I, I want to say broadly more um narratively um in response to you know going back to what Nate said a, a while back of, of how people are enjoying to you know sort of revel in in western's defeat and look I get it I was I probably did the same thing plenty of times the well not plenty of times because once again it doesn't happen very often um and you know maybe there's something to be said about in those key moments as we kind of talked about with Saint effects where you know in their case maybe not having as many opportunities in these big games to necessarily have that institutional knowledge or whatever you want to call it obviously western has plenty of that but more specifically in those positions when you're playing from behind and just having you know those those plays where you hey we need we need seven yards what do we have where we just need we can get you know six to seven yards on a play we just know like that and and obviously we've seen them all year we 
we've seen them get more than that on on, on many plays. Um, but here's here's my thing. Here's 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 my big piece because you know once again, I mean, I generally think I'm I'm, I'm relatively objective in, in looking at the teams. I'm just cheering for Western and the scope of wanting to see uh, OUA team make it to the Vanier Cup and specifically see Western host the first uh, Vanier in London. Because the last time we had the Vanier in Ontario, Tom, were you there at Tim Hortons for the 2017 Vanier? A game. Yes, I was. A game London was, pardon me, that Western was also in against these Laval Rouge or in London. Western picks up the win. You asked me to describe the crowd from this game. Will you do the same? And, and this is a game that's now five years old. How was the crowd in that game? What was the atmosphere? It was electric. It, uh, it, it, there wasn't nearly as many fans as I was hoping for because they only had the one side uh, kind of partitioned off. But the fans who were there were loud. They were animated. They made the drive from London to Hamilton. And I was really one of the things that I was the most excited for for this game was going to see the avid Western Mustang fan base against the Laval fan base Two t- two teams that. You know, story programs have so many alumni in both scenarios who are willing to help out and things like at that 2017 Vanier Cup, they have a lounge for the Tiger Cats. The entire lounge, which normally seats like 300 people, completely bought out by Western Mustang fans, filled the entire place, had no problem putting in people. They were actually turning some people away because of how many folks were trying to get into there plus all the people in the stands. And I was hoping that that was going to transition into the stands themselves. And just ultimately, this is a very bad look for Ontario University football fans. I am very disappointed that we didn't see more people out in those stands for the Mitchell Bowl. And and that's more to my point. And, and maybe what you said about it still being an electric environment goes against what I was ultimately leaning towards. But once again, that's coming off of Western losing back-to-back Yates Cups that they're now in that game. So maybe a little more just like, hey, let's go now. We're in this Vanier. It's an hour drive from you know London. Let's make it happen. Which is that on the whole, the, odd, the idea coming off of that blackout game early in the year where uh, Western Alumni Stadium was packed to the gills. Those shots that you can see the overheads of the, the the drone shots of that stadium. It was fantastic, coolest experience I've ever had in like an amateur sporting event of any kind of that of that ilk. And to me, it's such a lost opportunity for Ontario football to be able to say these games should be in Ontario more often. And there's the beautiful parallel of the venue we're gonna get where a year ago you had. Western taking out Saskatchewan in Quebec. And now Laval has the opportunity to avenge that loss by taking out Saskatchewan if they so do so in London. There's a beautiful symmetry to that point on it. But how do you not just look at this and be like, hey, you know what? These big games should be in Quebec or maybe they should be in Saskatchewan or or or, or in, 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 in Manitoba, perhaps, where we just know we'll get good crowds. Um and and maybe that's not the maybe that's not the move because you know I we've had plenty of of things to say and once again it's take up a whole podcast worth of a conversation about U Sports and OUA's you know um, sometimes inability to promote their own game so maybe it's like well we'll just you know we'll do the the fair thing and spraying it out versus being like no no where do we know there's gonna be a show where it'll be amazing to be there and it'll be amazing to see on the TV but nonetheless you know I get where people are coming from when they want to celebrate Western's loss. But I just think you need to have that extra step of recognizing the opportunity this was to because despite it being a, 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 a not a great environment yesterday, 
I am fairly confident. You already mentioned it. Supposedly that Vanier was sold out. I don't know if that means both sides of the stadium or only the one, but either way, at the very least, that sold out stadium, Western hosting their first Vanier Cup, that game would have been amazing. And maybe the London community was resting on the laurels of what a great OUA season it was for Western, assuming that they were going to be there. It's such a lost opportunity. It's such a lost opportunity for London and for OUA football not having that game there. Um, Nate, any thoughts that you have on sort of that implication about sort of Ontario football as a whole? Am I being a bit like sounding the alarmy on, on all that, or or is there any? Uh, do you think there's any? Does that hold any water? No, I think you guys said it all, man. Like it's it is disappointing, and you know. You, you turn on the stream, not the television. You go to the website and you turn it on and stands are half full. And, you know, like I'm, I have this game on the one screen. On the other screen, I have the Michigan-Illinois game. You know, two games that are actually very similar in terms of game flow. You know what I mean? Where it, it does come down to the wire in both events. One stadium, you know, across the border, 100,000 people. Um, you know, I don't know what the attendance was for Western, but, you know, two of the biggest programs that we have, you know what I mean? And, you know, I don't know what the answer is, but, um, you know, some, sometimes it feels like, you know, as much as we take a step forward, we take we take a couple step back, steps back. So, um, you know, again, like you said, I, I feel like people, we could have a week long convention you know, to talk about these these things and these issues and kind of where the game is going, because I feel like in terms of the product and the talent that's out there, I feel like it's as good as ever. You know what I mean? I can't really say that that it's it's bad or anything like that. You know what I mean? So, um, you know, it's not great, but, uh, you know, hopefully uh, those sold out fans uh, show up next week. We'll see. Yeah. Once again, a lot of folks leaving that building you know, looking for someone to buy a ticket from them. Um, you know, last thing I'll say on this, just to kind of bring that all home, because you both spoke on how great the environment looked uh, in Antigonish, um, according to the U Sports websites, the attendance from Nova Scotia, 2,173 people in attendance in London, Ontario, 1,937 Woof. in attendance. So a difference Woof. of what, you know, 200 or so people there um which that might not sound like a lot but when you think about the programs and the cultures of football and I don't want to I don't want to be speaking ill of east coast football um in this cuz I don't know the culture of football out there I can only speak to what we see you know just from our conference looking out there but yeah double wolf um tom yeah thoughts yeah, just for context here, uh, that stadium, at the very least, I don't know if it was just a section or if I saw the whole thing or whatever, but that that stadium in Antigonish looked packed, it looked like there was a ton of people. So if that 2,000 or if it's 3,000 capacity, whatever it is, they did a great job of filling that. For those of you who don't know, Western has a mass capacity of over 10,000 people to have almost, a, to have one-tenth of that is mind-blowing and i don't even necessarily blame the students i don't blame the fans really i think the oua u sports and all of the things surrounding that need to do a better job of highlighting this game as a whole and getting it back to where it used to be some of my fondest memories not even necessarily winning games losing games whatever walking out into western homecoming 10,000 people screaming at you, making fun of you, but 
involved in the game going into a Guelph Griffin homecoming where the stands are packed. The hill is packed with people. There's tons and tons of folks running out onto Ron Joyce field with 5,000 plus screaming, cheering for you. So you can't hear yourself when you're on that field. Those are the moments that I, as a player remember most. And to see so many unbelievable athletes get robbed of those moments is heartbreaking to me. And I will like I am fully committed here to trying to do whatever I can in order to get this right. But I just don't know where to start. It's so disheartening. Yeah. Sometimes it just feels like we're speaking into a void uh, on all these issues. Um just kind of looking at the other information section of these games as well, just being in attendance and you both speaking on the uh, wind not being too, uh, not looking like it played into effect too much in Nova Scotia. Uh, the, the listed uh, wind uh, from the UTEC was five kilometers per hour. The Mitchell is listed at 35 kilometers per hour, which my father and I's, uh, you know, devilishly red hued cheeks after the game can attest to because my, oh my, that was, uh, that was gnarly. Um, honestly, you know what i would love as far as ontario and to your point about sort of the the perception of a packed crowd even if the the raw tense numbers aren't there is let's put the darn game at varsity stadium man downtown toronto we can pack that thing for sure uft ain't gonna be in the game but that's okay um you know it'll certainly that's, look look like, that's that's where all the western alumni are yeah <laughs> <laughs> get those bay street uh bay street beauties out there you know we'll add in a little extra section whatever it takes right Nate, any last thoughts on uh, on not only the end of this semifinals U Sports weekend, but the uh, the end of OUA action for the twenty twenty two season? Yeah, let, let's just pour on pour on a little bit more. The uh, population of Andy Ganesh is four thousand people. Uh, it's a two hour drive from Halifax, you know, so it's a much smaller pool to draw from out there. Uh, Western, obviously, uh, five hundred thousand. 40,000 students alone. So remarkable stuff. And uh, yeah, I think you guys said it all. All in all, you know what I mean? I I am excited for next week. You know, it can't can't be doom and gloom, but there's still, you know, one big football game left in the year. And uh, I'm really excited for it. I was so curious seeing your face light up with whatever you were doing on your computer for the last two minutes. I'm like, what is this guy about to say? And you didn't let me down there. Tom, I'll throw it back to you one last time. Final thoughts as we say goodbye to the OUA for 2022 as far as the on-the-field product. We're down to the the last game. I mean, hey, it's 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 what can you say about that? As much as for all the reasons we talked about from the big picture of Ontario football and um, just the, the culture of football when we compare. Ontario to Can West to Quebec and clearly to out east as well. Um, all those implications at the end of the day, there are two teams remaining in the whole country, and our representative came came that close to being there. What what are your last thoughts? I think for the folks who are actually watching the games, watching the regular season games, and seeing these teams compete in all conferences, the game is getting better. I truly believe that. I think there's more that's going to be done, especially in the passing game where folks are now starting to be able to do, you know, a 300, 400 yard passing game pretty consistently. And you see guys like Mason Nias, and he's obviously in a, in a class above uh, all of the other quarterbacks that we've really seen here, but like not by that much. 
we've really seen a lot of great things. We were talking about a few weeks ago, just about the OUA, Evan Hillock, Taylor Elgersma, so many of these young quarterbacks who are going to be coming up here. And I think the product that's on the field is just as good as, as it's always been. I want to see more stands filled. I want to see more things happen here because the game itself is, is in good hands. Quite honestly, the, the the folks who are playing this game, the coaches that are around it, the game is in good hands. We need to be doing more to highlight these amazing players, these amazing coaches. Like Glenn Constantine versus Greg Marshall for a chance to go to the Vanier Cup should be blowing people's minds. Two legendary coaches, but unfortunately, if you're not U-sports football nerds like we are, not a lot of people know about that. Maybe a lot of people don't care about that, which is just really, really sad to me. Like I said, you know, my fondest memories are playing in packed crowds. And more often than not, those packed crowds that I remember so fondly were the enemy teams. So I just hope that we can get back to that. I hope that we can have people who care about U sports football because it's such a it's such an amazing game and such an amazing environment to be a part of when it's actually fully on. A freaking men, you said it all there. Um, and as me and my dad were walking into the stadium, you know, we're kind of by the western entrance where the players come out, and I like kind of like a little kid like tugging on his dad's coat, like at the mall, seeing like Santa Claus. I'm like, Dad, that's that's Glenn Constantine over there. We see him in the full red coat and his red hat. I'm like, see over there, yeah, yeah, that, that's Glenn Constantine. That's... But once again, maybe we're just catering our product to a very niche group of uh, people who already care about it so much. And how do we break into whomever that other population could be? Tune in next week to find out. But we have a Vanier Cup, and you know that my tickets aren't going to anyone else. And if you are uh, in the London community looking to sell those tickets, I mean, just make sure if you're not wanting to go, just make sure those tickets wind up with someone who's going to go. Like, just, I don't know. I have nothing compelling to say that's going to make you do it other than just like, come on, man. Clearly, you care about OUA football, U sports football, Western football, London football to some degree. And the more people are in attendance for these games, the better it is for the long run. So, We'll set up this matchup later in the week when we break down the Laval Rouge versus the Saskatchewan Huskies on Friday. So we'll talk to you then at the 55.